Hello, hello, friends, and welcome back to Nintendo's, the Nintendo podcast where we talk about Nintendo games, both new for the Switch and some retro games, which we call our Nintendo of the week. I am one of your hosts, Brayden, and we have a special guest co-host with us here this week. He's been on the show Who is before. It? Who is it? Oh, let's find out. Open the door. It's Connor, my brother. Hello, I'm Connor. I'm his brother. Or he's my brother. It depends on how you see it. Yeah, it's all about perspective. But, you know, we're we super stoked to have you back on the podcast. Uh, you not only have contributed uh, knowledge, but you also contributed our theme song. So thank you for that. It's probably fading out as we speak. Goodbye, theme song. See ya. See ya. Well, welcome back, though. We're, we are happy to have you. What's What's been up in the meantime? Thank you. It was great to be back. Not much. I mean, just the whole COVID quarantine stuff. I've had a lot of time to play a lot of games, Nintendo and otherwise. Just uh, just kicking it, I guess. Yeah, man. All right. Well, let's go ahead and just get right into the meat of the episode, I'd say. Uh, you want to go ahead and talk about what we're playing for the past week or so? For sure. You first. All right. I can do that. So I have been following a game for over a year uh, that they announced um, was going to be remastered. It is... Actually, one of our favorite GameCube games of all time mm-hmm. that we spent many sure. an hour with, and they just kept delaying this remaster, and I was getting frustrated. And really, they only announced a release date for it probably about a month before it finally dropped. But without further ado, I'm talking about mm-hmm. Final Fantasy Crystal Chronicles, um, and in this case, the remastered edition. Did you have you been following this game at all? I have. Like the like you mean like the development of it like like the re- release schedule sort of yeah kind of have you been interested in picking it up yeah absolutely I mean I would I don't want to speak for you but I would say if this game were not being remastered it would probably make the list of Nintendo gems someday on this podcast right like the GameCube version oh no doubt yeah. I, at this point that this remaster does kind of like rule it out because it makes it way too relevant to be right. considered just a a gem like you said I guess but uh. It's a GameCube cult classic. Yeah, it's it's weird how it's a Final Fantasy game and Final Fantasy is such a huge series, but it is such like it is a cult classic. Like so few people had it, played it, had the necessary equipment to play it, I guess, which we can get into. <laughs> um, and the people yeah. that did play it loved it so much. And it's like almost like a it's like an insular little community almost. Right, right. So I guess let's get into, for those of you that, who haven't played it, some of kind of just what makes this Final Fantasy entry so unique um, from the rest of them. Mm. Uh, so, sorry, side tangent here. The remaster is very faithful to the original. The graphics look great. The frames per second um, is way updated. And, it, you know, it just moves smoothly and beautifully. But so a lot of what we're going to be talking about applies mm-hmm. to both this remastered version as well as the GameCube version. I just kind of wanted to get that out there. Sure. But yeah, so what makes this Final Fantasy entry so unique is, first off, it's not a turn-based RPG. It is an action RPG, I guess. Mm-hmm. What would you call it? Yeah, I'd say so. I would say action RPG. It's almost, the. it's really light on the RPG elements. Right. Like your characters really don't have many stats. You don't really level up. The the way you upgrade your character, as it were, is pretty, mm-hmm. very simple and very I feel like I've heard of it, heard it described as uh, Diablo light. And so I think that's a very yeah. good way to describe uh, yeah, what, how the dungeons play out, at least how like the action portions play, which for the record is not the 
necessarily the best mm-hmm. part of the game. So, um, Ooh, but yeah, that is what differentiates this Final Fantasy from many of the other entries that were traditionally turn-based. Mm-hmm. Then another uh, strange quirk about this game, which is not necessarily Final Fantasy related, but I would call it a barrier of entry to playing the game, uh, at least in multiplayer mode, would be that it required the Game Boy Advance cables. Do you remember that? You want to yeah. tell us about that? Yeah, for sure. It, so the it was originally for the GameCube, I guess, as we might have said. And you can play it solo. You can play with just one player and just have a GameCube controller and play it that way. You can play through the whole game by yourself if you want. But it is right, meant to right. be a, an up to four players co-op experience like you're meant to have a three friends mm-hmm. like go through the entire event and create your characters together yeah and like you create your character you kind of make your own story in a way it the plot kind of follows a through line eventually but you start off like with your own right created characters and own party um and you're meant to play the entire game with your with this set of friends this party but the original gamecube version uh, you couldn't just use four regular GameCube controllers. You had to use this cable <laughs> for some, I mean, for a good reason. Which is just dumb, dude. No, it's cool. It's cool. Okay. It's cool that it, because, okay, it's it's so weird to explain. It, you use this cable to connect your Game Boy Advance to the GameCube. And so to play the, pl- the game right. with four total players, everybody would have to bring their own Game Boy Advance, let alone. And then you would also have to have four of those very specific and like even at the time not like amazingly easy Easy to find yeah like cable like linking the gamecube to the Game Boy advance so like especially today if this remaster didn't exist to get the entire final fantasy crystal chronicles experience you would be dropping a pretty penny (laughs) but and and, Uh and finally i will say that it's cool that it works that way if only because the Game Boy advance Uh is used in a way that your map, like the map screen for each dungeon shows up on your Game Boy Advance. It gives you each player like specific mm-hmm. information to follow. And it's like very much a rudimentary Wii U gamepad yeah, kind of thing. Definitely. And like that's like when the Wii U came out, everybody was like Crystal Chronicles HD, like Crystal Chronicles remaster or something. <laughs> and it never came, obviously, but we have it now. And right. And I and, and we can get into the multiplayer aspect because I guess I should also concede I haven't played this remaster. I don't have it. Braden does. Mm-hmm. I'm very nostalgic and faithful about the original. And I'm curious to see what the differences and similarities are. But yes, apparently multiplayer is just more streamlined this time. You don't need a Game Boy Advance of your own, thankfully. Right. And actually, an interesting bit is, so this remaster was released on all major consoles, I believe, including, so I know PlayStation, I know Switch, and I know mobile. Mm -hmm. Um, I'm not positive about Xbox. I don't think so, Um, actually. But what's interesting is, yeah, maybe not. But all three of those versions have a demo version where you're able to play I want to say the majority of the dungeons with your friends, like you don't get to create your own custom character. You don't necessarily get to do it's a, it is a free light version. Okay. But I don't know. I just think it's weird that, well, it's not weird. I think it's interesting that they went for that model. Uh And I mean, I did shell out $30. So to have a friend just be able to pop in and kind of lend a hand with a free version is interesting. Right. Um, and I, it's crossplay between all versions, right? Like that's the appeal too. Oh yeah. That's awesome. It is. It's really cool. Um, 
I guess let's get into, yeah, how, how this multiplayer plays out when you really get into it. So I, in my mind, when I think of Final Fantasy Crystal Chronicles, I genuinely do think of playing solo. I know we've played together mm-hmm. a handful of times, but sure. I think of having my Moogle, my, my little <laughs> floating friend, carry the chalice for me, sure. which you don't get that luxury if you're playing with friends. Mm-hmm. Um, and so like that's how I picture it. And so I started off this game uh, playing solo like I always kind of have. And I, I got a certain distance and then I just wanted to kind of see what it was like to play with other people. Mm-hmm. And so I turned on my multiplayer option and dude, I don't know, I probably a quarter of the way into the level. I had f- three other teammates and we were just balling through this level. It was amazing. Um, it was, I was so surprised by how integral the multiplayer almost felt sure. to the game enjoying the game like and it and it, it includes some strategy sure oh uh, yeah like you know uh, combining spell spells and coordination yeah exactly so it's very interesting the problem comes with like the multiplayer system and how it's set up uh and i think that's where a lot of the negativity comes from online about this remastered game it has not been received well and a lot of it is about the multiplayer right so riddle me this i've the the main complaint maybe not the main complaint one of the big complaints i've heard is that like those people that helped you out in the dungeon that dropped in you are playing that dungeon because that's the dungeon you are on like in the story and that's what you need to complete to proceed in the main game but the other players that drop into your dungeon them helping you beat that dungeon does not advance their game, does it? That's what I've heard. That is correct. And and again, like I said, that's where the majority of the complaints have come from. Mm. It comes from people wanting to play with their friends, wanting to match story beat for story beat, you know, literally be sit, sharing a file. Right. They thought that was going to be what they were going to be able to do. But unfortunately, only one player can really profit off of the story progression when you clear a dungeon. And the rest kind of simply receive like stat boosts and things like that. Okay. So so there is motivation to. Oh, yeah, dude. I'm grinding through some of the older dungeons just to boost up my uh, Uke's magic. Oh, you, you. Points. Uh-huh. Yeah, dude. I'm a, I'm a mage. And so, like, I'm grinding through some of these I mean, yeah, no. levels. I'm just joining other people's parties to be able to claim the artifacts at the end and gain the stat boost. Mm-hmm. And so, I mean, me not having a friend that I'm trying to coordinate with i'm having a blast being able to drop in and out of these people's parties and requesting help when i want it Mm -hmm. but i do understand the complaints for people who if me and you had bought this game together we would be disappointed oh yeah and like i mean that's kind of where i mean that makes it make sense to me like if you need a stat boost you can drop into somebody's game real quick help them out and get like a little bit a little a little bump and have some fun with yeah, it. But I do yeah. think that sounds like it does kind of go against the spirit of the original game, where you're like, just that your caravan, your four-player caravan going through the whole adventure together. Like that's like the that's the theme. That's like the the thing. You know what I mean? It's how the story even frames it. Yeah, exactly. And like the story, like especially later on, like it's about like the 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 theme of the game is like making memories. And like even at the end of the game, you have to like remember things that happened. And like that means more, I think, when the players are all together doing the whole thing together. And I think, right. I mean, I just think that's beautifully laced into the game, like organically. And I feel like that's also kind mm-hmm. of missing with that new matchmaking system, kind of how it works. I don't know. But I mean, it does sound like it, it works and it's fun. 
like you've had success with it? Yeah. I just want to give a shout out to like Lily and Zuzu, like my two friends that I, I mean, we have, we've chosen to follow each other, which is like, you know, the, the, the friend system. Okay. And, and so I get all their invites and everything. And I mean, we've played together several times. We communicate, you know, through the little quick chat and, and I look forward to seeing if they're online. So, you know, there's a little bit of companionship of bonding, but you're definitely correct in that. Like you're not starting a story together. Well, and you kind of mentioned how the story really leans into the caravan and the party system, kind of. I just wanted to, the story really ties the whole game together, including the gameplay, the way mm-hmm. that you traverse the map, and and even the aesthetic, you know what I mean? Like, uh, I'm, I'm just kind of picturing the crystals in the middle of towns. Like, mm-hmm. so many fantasy towns, I'm sure, have crystals in the middle, but Crystal Chronicles has a darn good reason why there's a massive one. Uh, yeah. You know, it's to, to hold off my asthma. You know, it's it's a beautiful world. Yeah, it's I mean, it's a Final Fantasy game. And Final Fantasy, if you know it already or if you don't, you kind of think of just like a it's a Japanese RPG series. You think of more kind of anime-esque things, turn-based. But this one kind of meets it in the middle with like Western RPG because it's all very Celtic kind of mm-hmm. like Celtic folklore and like Renaissance, like all the character designs and like all the villages and stuff are very like rustic and all the music is played on like lutes and flutes and like tambourines and like oh, hand drums. So good. The music is beautiful and like never compromises that aesthetic. Like it's, it's just like fully mm-hmm. committed to like this very Renaissance. Yeah. Very, I mean, a, a, like Celtic folklore setting. It's, it's just beautiful and very like unique for the kind of game that it is. And yeah, like you mentioned the plot, like I think we mentioned that from the outset, you kind of create your character and you kind of set out on a caravan, like with your created characters. Um, the The theme is about like an adventure with your friends and you're making memories and you're using these crystals, hence the Chronicles, um, to keep this miasma that's taking over the world at bay. This crystal you carry around and in these bigger crystals that are in villages, hold off the miasma and you go around with your caravan to, around the world, collecting the, more crystals and collecting this essence called myrrh that fuels the crystals. But eventually with the, with the plot being what it is like a plot, you find <laughs> out like what's causing the miasma and you end up stopping it. Making memories is like interlaced with that. I, I think is just so beautiful. And like the, the aesthetic is just gorgeous, even for the GameCube. The graphics were definitely pretty mind blowing for a GameCube game. The Switch hold version holds up with that, like HD the bump and graphics. Definitely. I mean, it's it is just a remaster. It's not like a remake or anything, and so it's the same models. But you know, the the, the FPS is there, and it looks smooth, and and it still just as we've kept on saying, you know, the the beauty, and and really just it was a game that have very strong ga- graphics for the GameCube. So it, it looks okay, you know, even for Switch. It's $30 on Switch, which for some of you listening might be a bit of a steep price tag. Uh, mm. So definitely, you know, take, you know, listen to what we're saying, maybe watch some videos, but it's a wonderful game if Diablo Light or, you know, yeah. Celtic Fantasy sounds appealing. Totally. Or if you're just a Final Fantasy fan. I would say it's a little, it might be a hard sell to like core gamers if you're looking for like an in-depth action rpg experience but Mm -hmm. i think the simplicity of the gameplay 
is very fun and like kind of elegant in its own way. And I think the aesthetic, the kind of Celtic, as we keep saying, kind of thing and this and the story makes it a game worth visiting. If even right. if you, even if the gameplay doesn't like hook you completely. Sure. Well, and I would definitely say there's also a demo. So I guess that's oh, yeah. the, the, the perfect test is just test it out. Yeah, that the mobile version is free for like the first 13 dungeons or something. Yeah, yeah. And I know the Switch has a demo as well. So oh, really? Hop on. Well, yeah, yeah, yeah. Give it a shot. Sweet. All right. Well, so that's I've been playing Crystal Chronicles and I am loving it. Uh, what have you been playing the past little while? Obviously, always pers- uh, persistently, consistently playing Super Smash Bros. online. Um, just to pass yeah. the time. Just getting those, keeping my skills mm-hmm. fresh. I am very proud to say I have 12 characters in Elite Smash. Dork. That's Little humble brag. Yes, sir. 12 of 80 plus characters. I am, I am, I'm proud of it. I've won a tournament or two. That is wild. Get, hop off. I'll, I'll admit the re. The most recent update they did make they like lowered the cap for elite status like it isn't oh, easier right. to get in but i'm mm-hmm. still proud nonetheless i'm i'm grinding bro like 12 more than me i think <laughs> who who's your closest who's like your your main you know like my main i claim greninja but i think young link is probably a little bit closer but i mean <laughs> and i don't know man sure. who, who's your main these days uh samus is is a uh, always going to be my main of all mains if I need to kick some tail, but I do love playing mm-hmm. Incineroar. I like Meta Knight. Um, always, always love Terry. Terry's uh, close to Samus in terms of just like Brutal. if I want to make make a statement, if I want to make a count. Yeah. But yeah, I don't know. I just like playing with everybody. I if I'm playing for fun with anybody, I'm always choosing random, truthfully. And that sounds really cocky, but it's a lot of fun. Absolutely, and a great way to round your skills. But yeah, absolutely. Yeah, no. Um, but other than, I mean, always Smash, just getting games in there. I got this game recently that I believe you mentioned on the show. I don't know how in depth you got into it, but it's mm-hmm. a lovely little indie game called Baba Is You. Yeah, we did. We did talk about that a little bit. I probably puked up some nonsense words that could not describe it well at all uh do you want to take a crack at it uh sure yeah i mean it's 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 a weird it's hard to describe at its core it's just like a block pushing puzzle game like you it's 2d you play as a little character on the screen and you push blocks around like a a grid area and solve Mm -hmm. puzzles like pushing blocks different places to make paths and stuff but the main mechanic of the game is like it's basically just like logic and coding like the the rules mm-hmm. of the game show up in the game like area as blocks so there's a a block that is that says baba a block that says is and a block that says you and baba is is like your little player character it's a little sheet but those mm-hmm. three words are blocks that you can move around on in the area so if you move you away from baba is if you move it away then suddenly you can't move because you are no no longer baba you are not baba you you have to restart yeah you are you have to restart the level um and there's like wall there's three blocks that are like wall is stop so if there's a wall in your way you can move stop out of that sentence and then suddenly you can walk through the walls and uh mm-hmm. you're basically just manipulating the rules of the game within the game 
to solve puzzles and get to the goal. Crazy mind-bending stuff. Yeah, and then like there's like flag is win. So you can move flag and put Baba there and Baba is win and then you are you win. That's you win the game. You don't have to get to the flag. All right. And so creative. Yeah. Like it's it it gets so complicated and like just because you're manipulating the rules themselves, it feels like different than any other kind of puzzle game to like solve to solve the puzzle because mm-hmm. it feels like you're outsmarting the developers in a way. Right, right. Because it's like it's like surely it's, they didn't plan for this. Yeah, because I mean, yeah, it's sometimes it feels accidental. Like you make these weird rules, you make the goal into like uh, an enemy, and then you hit the enemy, but you win anyway. And then it feels like you're doing it on accident, <laughs> like the developers didn't intend it. But simultaneously, uh-huh. I get so stumped that I just feel stupid, stupid as all get out. Oh. Dude, I mean, wherever I was at, like, whenever I discussed it on the previous episode, whatever mm. level I was on, I'm undoubtedly still there. Because, I mean, like, I, I peaked. I was, I, sure. I had to tap out. I yes. mean, you know, maybe I, I, I ought to look one up and then I can move on and try another. But, right, yeah, it's freaking hard. It is. I, I've been cruising. There's, like, I'm on the third, like, world. There's, like, little worlds on, like, a map, um, little groups of levels. And I'm on like the third world on the map. Mm-hmm. And I've been kind of, I've been cruising pretty well so far. I've had a few stumpers, but with the way that it's ramping up, I wouldn't be surprised if I just have to drop it soon enough just because it's too <laughs> smart for me. Well, keep it up, big brain. I'm sure you can, I'm sure you'll get plenty far. We'll see. I don't know. I'll check back next episode that I'm on and, and see if I'm, if I'm still stuck. Yeah. Uh, anything else to say about Baba is you? Not really. I guess check it out if you like puzzle games. At least, at least like watch like a trailer or something. Just because the concept is so difficult to visualize, I feel like. Right, right. Yeah, and it's fifteen dollars. Yeah, fifteen on the eShop. Um, I haven't seen it on sale yet. I don't think, but uh, mm-hmm. I'm definitely worth your time whenever it is, if it ever is. For sure. Well, shall we get into the Nintendo of the week? You've kind of brought us a. Uh, weirdo this week it is definitely a nintendo gem oh yes there it's a gem it's a gem nintendo like we're we're there there are no marios or zeldas here in this episode really like that's uh, true final fantasy and the gem that i have it's kind of a an obscure episode by nature but yes uh and it's an oddball it's got i've got a lot of explaining to do but uh, this week's Nintendo <laughs> Gem is the Mystical Ninja starring Gomon for the Nintendo 64. All right. And I guess the first talking point, the first disclaimer I should say is Gomon, the Mystical Ninja starring Gomon. Gomon is the titular character. He's the protagonist. And he's mm-hmm. the main character of this historic ongoing video game series. But it is yeah. technically pronounced Goemon. It's a it's a heavily Japanese themed series, and the character's name is Goemon. It's spelled G O E M O N, and to pronounce it otherwise is incorrect. Mm-hmm. But I'm going to do it anyway, <laughs> just just because we grew up with the with the Goemon games, and that's like what we're used to, and it's easier to say. I think we'll get through the episode faster. Don't worry. Yeah, Goemon is just like 
weird to say for my un- unde- underdeveloped American palate, yeah. as it were. So why, who, who is this Gomon? Why did you bring him here to us? An excellent question. For, for American gamers, Gomon is, he might not be so recognizable. So he's essentially a pop culture icon in Japan at this point. He's like equivalent to Mario in terms of recognition in Japan. And there are dozens and dozens and dozens of games. There's an an anime, a manga, there's like books, Mm. there's, I mean, just merchandise out the, out the wazoo. Gomon is, is just an icon, a gaming icon Mm -hmm. uh, in Japan. He's essentially Konami, the developer. It's, he's essentially their mascot over there. They, they also make Castlevania, Gradius, Metal Gear Solid, Silent Hill, like all these series, but Gomon is really like their, they're family friendly, like Mario that they use for branding. Uh, however, among those dozens and dozens of games that he has, we got four in the U.S. <laughs> ever. And yes. Mystical Ninja starring Gomon is, I believe, the second of those. And it's right. pretty darn good, dare I say. Yeah. So the first the first Gomon game that the U.S. received um, was... What is it? Mystical Ninja? What's it called? For the SNES? Yeah, it's the Legend of the Mystical Ninja for the Super Nintendo. And it's a it's a little weird. The translation is a little funky because there is dialogue in the game and they refer to the characters as Mr. Ying and Dr. Yang. When in the actual <laughs> series it's Goemon and he has a friend named Ibizumaru, but I guess those are just a little too Japanese and hard to pronounce for Americans. Let's go for uh, yin yang. Yeah, That's let's not... just make it like possibly a little racist. <laughs> not, not a bad idea. Just see what sticks. Um, and then yeah, so that was the first, and then uh, the other three we got Mystical Ninja starring Gomon, which is just the the same almost exact name, which is not confusing at all uh, for the N sixty four. Then a sequel for to this game called Goemon's Great Adventure for the N sixty four as well, and then there is another. Mm-hmm. I think it's just called Mystical Ninja Starring Gomon 2, like in addition. Oh my gosh. For the Game Boy. So it's got a weird history for the for the Americas, obviously, and it's very right. confusing. Um, but in Japan, it's it's just the series is just called Ganbare Goemon or Fight on Gomon. So it's a little easier Fight to on. keep track of. Yeah. And like they have like like uh. the sequels are like numbered and stuff to make it easier, you know. Right. We just got the kind of, well, let's ship it overseas. Why not? Yeah. And they... Well, I wouldn't, I won't say that they didn't care about like the Americanization because which we'll get into, but like, cause like the level of the, so obviously if you haven't caught on with like the weird, what they've changed and what they haven't so far with the series for American audiences, it's a very, very Japan themed series. Uh, right. And it, in addition to it just like being mostly localized to Japan, the series, like the the setting of the games itself is in a like cartoonish, wacky, over-the-top version of mm-hmm. uh, like medieval Japan, like feudal Japan, Edo period. Mm-hmm. In the same way that Mario is like a plumber, but he really <laughs> doesn't do any plumbing in any games, you know? He's just kind of like a hero. Mm-hmm. Uh, Gomon is the same way. Ishi- Ishikawa or Ishikara Goemon is a like a Japanese folklore character, like a, a myth character. 
who's like essentially Japan's Robin Hood. Right. He's like yeah, a, yeah, a thief yeah. steals from the rich. Um, but the Gomon, they do not focus on that in the games at all. <laughs> not at all, whatsoever. It's just he's just like a hero character who saves the world a bunch, and wacky villains come into Edo, Japan, and mess mess things up, and he has to defeat them and right the wrongs and stuff. It's it's all extremely over the top and wacky. And the reason that so few of the games made it over here is just, is because of that setting. Like so many of the characters and um enemy designs and like is based on japanese folklore like japanese mythology and so many uh-huh. of those concepts just don't translate like we right shoot what's the yokai like the concept of yokai like japanese ghosts and monsters uh-huh we just don't have here and that yokai make mm-hmm. up like most of the character designs and enemies and stuff that's interesting. I, I guess I hadn't, you know, I I hadn't related Gomon to that right. concept of yokai before, but that that is really interesting. Like, yeah, because that is such a pervasive kind of superstition, I guess, in Japan. Mm-hmm. Right, and and I mean the 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 series is also very anime influenced. Like it's it's very anime esque, uh, which for the time, like the '90s, obviously America wasn't as accustomed to anime as it is now. So yeah, uh, it's not really surprising that it didn't catch on quite as much, let alone the fact that it's set in Japan and so much of the theming is Japanese <laughs> in and of itself. So what makes it a gem? What 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 is so gem like about it? So this game in particular, the one we're talking about, The Legend of the Mystical Ninja starring Gomon for the Nintendo 64, uh it's essentially like an open world action adventure game in the same vein as like um Zelda Ocarina of Time, which I, y'all have talked about on the show, right. right? Yes, we definitely did. Cool. So existing viewers who might not be as as familiar with the with the games will have an idea of what that means, perhaps. Yeah, so it's an open world action adventure. You and the the world is enormous. Like I would say two to three times the size of Ocarina of Time. It's just kind of more expansive. Like it, the the fields are just bigger. Like it takes longer to just like run across a field than it does in Ocarina of uh-huh. Time to get from point A to point right. B. But yeah, the the world is very big. You explore like the whole continent of Japan, as it were. Um, and there's mm-hmm. dungeons, like there's dungeons where you find items, use the items to clear it and fight a boss at the end. It's a it's very Zelda-esque in its construction. You right. unlock four different characters to play as. It is also a platformer. It's part 3D platformer, which is kind of what you'd expect from an N64 yeah. game? I was about to say, so the the design and like the world and the layout, I guess, you, is definitely Zelda feeling, but the kind of the character movement and kind of the gameplay would would almost be more like a Mario 64 type feel to it, would, yeah. would you say? Totally. Yeah, there's, a, I mean, there's lots of exploration and puzzle solving, but there is also lots of platforming, lots of 3D platforming. And mm-hmm. it does, it does, yeah, it feels a lot more kind of more like banjo kazooie like that kind of collectathon oh wow that's a, there you go you know that's what i mean one so it's it's got this nice fusion of different game gameplay styles and with the different characters to unlock it kind of shakes up the gameplay and the coolest part oh is and, th- and this is a series staple this happens i guess i should also preface the series like as the games the dozens of games exist in japan it's mostly 2d platformers like side scrolling platformers uh-huh. um that's like historically what gomon is 
SNES, Game Boy, etc. Yeah, right. And um, so this game was kind of like the big break into 3D, like kind of like Zelda and Mario did, like finally expanding that concept into a huge 3D world. Yeah. And they kind of nailed it on the N64 first track. 64 is such a game changer. It really is. Um, they they did it. They did it really well. But there's this one concept, this one idea in the Gomon games that even started on the Super Nintendo. But there are the dungeons in the game. There's like the main like levels that you play through. Uh-huh. And at the end of each level, at the end of each dungeon, there's a boss fight, which you fight like normally mm-hmm. with your character. And then after that boss fight. You hop into your mech, your uh, <laughs> your mobile suit, your giant robot. You hop into the cockpit of your giant robot and you fight another giant robot in first yes. person, like in like a punch out kind of uh, like almost first person shooter sort of segment. It's, yeah. it's, You're controlling both this. You have special attacks. Yeah, you've like, got like a gun or something like that. Yeah, it, like it plays like a fighting game. It's like suddenly this platformer turns mm-hmm. into like a first-person like fighting game where you're dueling, duking it out with this other giant robot, which is just, I mean, that's just a testament to like a how like Japanese in theme it is and like in in its execution. Like, I mean, like the Power Rangers kind of thing where like uh, they <laughs> hop into a giant robot for the end of the episode uh-huh. to fight the giant monster. Like, it's the same exact thing. Like the the villain turns into like a huge monster and you fight it one on one in a giant robot and it even has like this intro sequence where the robot's getting like a symbol just like the megazords and power rangers and there's even like a vocal Mm -hmm. theme song for the robot that it plays it's awesome it's so good and and just so silly and over the top and i don't know let's say just a great testament to just how japanese i i mean what is more japanese than giant fighting robots exactly and and again feudal japan like 1600s Edo Japan, but they're giant yeah. robots and aliens and lasers and all kinds of crazy stuff. It's awesome. It's so cool. And then the rest of the game just like follows suit. Like it's all just so wacky. There's a laugh track in the game. Yeah. There's a healthy amount of <laughs> like literally, there's a healthy amount of like dialogue in the game, lots of characters, lots of wacky mm-hmm. characters that like and the jokes, even in this American version, still land for the most part, I think. I don't know how one to one the translation works for it. Yeah, uh, it, like for what it is, for what it can be. I just remember playing this game as a kid, and I don't think I've ever made it very far on this game because it just it was it seemed very confusing at the time. And I don't know if that's because as a kid I was reading like strangely translated English, or maybe I just (laughs) didn't read at all or, you know what I mean? I felt lost and it felt like a big wide open game, but, but I wonder how, how it would play for me these days. I would say the translation is about as good as it can be. Japan. I mean, again, just like cultural, icons barriers cultural differences aside Mm -hmm. uh japan really loves puns so (laughs) and like the way they write their the way their uh their words and like text work like a lot of the the individual characters the individual japanese text characters will be like a syllable Mm -hmm. and so they'll like double up on those and make puns out of their words and so that's really a lot of what the dialogue originally is in japanese and so you can't quite make those same jokes in american english work so yeah yeah 
so they kind of have to like write new ones and like make it might come out like a little sideways and like make not make a ton mm-hmm. of sense but it's usually for the most part still works it's still like it's a really funny game and there's again a laugh track in this dang game like you can't like name another game that does that a laugh it's, track in case you missed the funny right exactly to let you know when you're supposed yeah. to laugh. <laughs> it's a solid game in its own right it's and like I, I guess what you were mainly asking about like as far as progressing through the game I, I there's still like some cultural language barriers i guess like in the same way that they, they called goemon and ibizumaru uh mr ying and dr yang in the earlier games like there's just like different japanese words that are a little difficult to pronounce or memorize Mm -hmm. like different locations um and different character names that you need to know and like look for in the world it can be a little confusing for like players that aren't accustomed to that kind of thing um but i think overall it's it makes sense like it's a if you pay attention to the cohesive experience yeah, it, it it carts you it carts you through pretty at a pretty nice well, that's cool. clip. Yeah, it's a it's a solid game in its own right. If you can get past the absolute left field madcapness of its setting and its humor, um, and I mean just like <laughs> yeah, and just like the general like archaicness of it being an N sixty four N sixty four platformer. Right. It is a it is a Nintendo gem. I firmly believe the firmest confirmation I can make for it qualifying as a nintendo gym is i'm gonna dunk mm-hmm. on nintendo a little bit mm-hmm. mystical ninja starring go on came out before legend of zelda ocarina of time and like we've i mean that's we've, pretty crazy that's i mean that's that's huge ocarina of time took yeah. like year, years and years to develop and obviously it came out perfect it's it was worth the wait but like i mean mystical ninja kind of did it first yeah i mean like it took that i mean it made like like the same formula as the original zeldas like dungeons you look for keys and items and you go Mm -hmm. across the world talking to characters and exploring new areas and stuff and it all in 3d all and it did it in 3d first they came out the same year Uh and mystical ninja was like several months before it's pretty wild so bizarre and it and it and i mean it just faded into obscurity nobody remembers mystical ninja nobody knows about it right at some it, point i think almost like a, a side-by-side comparison of those two games and like their mechanics could could be called for like that would be an interesting study oh, at the competition between those two games maybe uh mystical ninja should be the, hailed as the greatest game of all time don't you think Ooh, I, <laughs> I think it qualifies it was their first it was their first fair enough i think i've mentioned it was a previous episode we were talking about super smash bros and some dlc and again oh, right go the goemon series doesn't exist in america anymore like almost in any capacity but we got mm-hmm. a goemon me fighter costume in super smash bros ultimate That's so wild which and is that really was the episode you were on right yeah yeah oh i, I was excited i was jazzed like it's crazy that that happened me sword fighter right is he one of your 12 in Elite oh, Smash? you know it. You know Goemon? It. Absolutely. Very nice. All right. It, then you were, I will, I dub the true fan. Why, thank you. Like, I, like, Goemon and Smash has just, like, been a dream since Super Smash Bros. for the 64. Like, a pie-in-the-sky, never-ever-happened dream. And, I mean, this is good enough, you know? 
Right. Well, and I think with us owning both of the N64 games as kids, we surely thought he was like a bigger character than clearly he was in the United States. Like he had oh, such totally. an impact on our gaming, yeah. our childhood gaming experience. But no one else had ever heard of him. Right. I mean, and again, like, I mean, Japan, he, I'm sure there was plenty of uh, hubbub for him to show up in Super Smash Bros. even back then. Right. But it's just crazy because even in even in Japan these days, the last Gomon, the last like mainline Gomon title game that came out even in Japan was like 2006 for the DS. Like even Mm -hmm. is the series has been like mostly unheard from for a while now. Right. But we find that we got that me costume and um, I'm content. Hope is restored. Well, maybe next time or just at some point in the future, we can do the sequel to this game, which is uh, Gomon's Great Adventure, which, like I said, is another one of those big N64 games that we spent a lot of time in. Um, And it's it's a great game in its own right, a little bit different in that it's like a 2D. It's like a 2.5D platformer. Mm -hmm. I I mean, it's tough, I think, because I, I think I truthfully I like the sequel, Gomon's Great Adventure, more. But I think Legend of the uh, Mystical Ninja starring Gomon is a better starting point for the series as a game. Right. But hopefully... You get a bigger perspective of the series. Absolutely. It's in a lower barrier of entry, I think. Mm -hmm. Because Gomon's Great Adventure is hard. It's a side-scrolling platformer, and it's brutal. Right. But hopefully someday, when we are running out of Nintendo gems to cover, we can pop back on the Gomon series and cover it. I'd be down. Yeah, man. Well, for those of you interested in playing this game, um, I'm seeing prices between 50 and 150 on Ooh. the internet on That's eBay. A steal. <laughs> yeah, you think so? Oh yeah. Um, yeah, it's a it's interesting that it's so obscure here because there's really only you can either buy the cartridge or and you should never ever do this. You can emulate it. Because it never got put on the virtual console um, or any eShop. Right. It's like the the only ones that ever did were the Game Boy version was put on the 3DS eShop. And the Super Nintendo Mystical Ninja was is on like the Wii and Wii U virtual console. And I think maybe even on the Super Nintendo Switch collection thing. Interesting. Maybe. But yeah, I think you're, you might be right. Maybe. Uh, regardless, I mean, it's easier to find. But yeah, the Nintendo 64 titles, Mystical Ninja, Starring Gomon, and Gomon's Great Adventure were never re-released, still haven't. Um, so you can either shell out a couple hundred bucks for the cartridges, um, or you can find a way to emulate it, which I, which you should. Never. I can't. We cannot professionally condone. You can borrow the game. Mom yeah. says bring it back by Friday. <laughs> I will, fun fact though, Gomon's Great Adventure, like full inbox copy, like we have from our childhood days, is mm-hmm. our most expensive and valuable game in our collection. Full stop. That box is pristine. We gotta keep it, it there. But yeah, you have anything else for Gomon, Connor? Man, I feel like I've talked about it so much already, and I could keep going because I love it so much. Man, I would say uh, if you're a big fan of the Nintendo Nintendo 64 and like that era of uh, 3D platformers and you think you've played them all but haven't done this one give it a shot because it's it's a uh, it's a special one it's a, it's a it's wacky and weird and might uh surprise you 
but it's it's worth the investment, I think. And that is why we will log that into the Nintendo's Hall of Fame. Yes, Welcome, sir. Gomon. Dun, dun, dun. About time. Yeah, well, and thank you, Connor, for being our special guest this week. You really, you carried us through. Thanks for your <laughs> wealth of knowledge. Yes, absolutely. It was a pleasure to be on. Thank you for basically letting me talk about two gems, covertly, sort of. Yeah, we kind of snuck that Crystal Chronicles in, but that's okay. Yeah, it's a new game. Remastered. Uh, do you have any personal projects you'd like to plug on your way out? Yeah, you can hear my music at weave.bandcamp.com. That's w-e-a-v.bandcamp.com. I don't have a ton out right now. Show but some I'm, love. Yeah, support your, your boy. I'll have some new stuff soon. Hopefully. Yeah. It can't possibly be as good as the outro song we have going right now. Oh, no way. Yeah. Anyway, thank you guys so much for listening. Uh, my name is Brayden. Over there, we have... And this has been Nintendo's. Be sure to subscribe on all your favorite podcast platforms, like us on Facebook, Twitter, and we will see you next time. Bye, guys. Bye-bye.